the BBC Essex Gardening Hour with Ken Crowther. Hello and welcome to the BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast, which you can download for free on the BBC Essex website. That's bbc.co.uk slash bbcessex. I'm Ken Crowther and this week my special guest is Mick Lavelle from Rittle University College near Chelmsford. Coming up, we'll be answering your questions on everything from daffodils and roses to fuchsias and potatoes. The BBC Essex Gardening Hour with Ken Crowther, every Saturday from 11. Mick, welcome to BBC Essex Gardening Hour. It's really not weather to be working in the garden at the moment, or is it? Well, you can work out in the garden. You've got to choose your jobs carefully. I mean, one of the jobs which is a great thing to do this time of year, of course, is pruning. The difficulty is, of course, when we've had some frosty nights like recently, you don't really want to be pruning and leaving open wounds when it's going to be frosty that evening, a heavy frost, I mean, or if it's frosty on the day. So pick the timing, look at the weather forecast, a few days when it's going to be mild, and you can get on with that winter pruning. If you do it during frosty weather, what happens? Does the wood... You know, the pruning, does it burn back down to the next Well, it'll next tend bud? to bleed a little bit, and it's that freezing on the end of the uh, the wound which is the problem. It can, uh, it, it can make the wound worse. I mean, every time you cut a plant, you're making a wound, make no mistake about it, and the plant needs to be able to heal itself, so don't do it at a time when it's going to make it worse. Well, talking of frozen things, we've had a fair bit of frost, and in fact the frost has gone well into the ground, hasn't mm, it? Indeed. And it's a reminder to keep off the grass. And I don't know whether you've noticed, but um, I was driving near Harlow the other day and I could see where the local authority had actually driven up onto a grass to do some hedge work. Mm. And you can see their tyre tracks because they go yellowy-brown, don't they? And And it's the breaking of the structure, isn't it, of the grass? It is. like Those grass plants, they freeze, but they'll thaw again and they'll be okay. Um, But, of course, even on a very fine lawn, if you walk across it, it leaves footprints. It was a disciplinary offence as an apprentice gardener if if we did this on the estate. So So they are. Don't walk on your frozen uh, grass at all. And if you are uh, trying to get to different beds, walk on the beds because you'll do those very little harm, will you, at all? Indeed, yes. So if you're working on the bed and you want to cut some stuff back, Get on the bed, not on the lawn. Indeed. Well, I mean, talking about beds and uh, cold weather, if you're looking forward, as many of us are, to actually getting on with planting some seeds outside, uh, these, this frozen ground and cold weather isn't particularly promising, you might think. But if when you get a mild day, get out there. If you've got cloches, put them out. If you've got a, a low tunnel, you know, hoops and, uh, and plastic to put over, do that. Or just stretch some black plastic out and peg it down. It uh, really warms the, the soil, doesn't it? Will, it? Black plastic especially will warm the soil underneath, ready for when you sow the seeds. It'll give you that little bit of a chance to sow earlier and particularly if you have a cloche or some sort of uh, freight, uh, tunnel to put over the top of it, it will actually mean that you can sow them earlier and get those crops on the go ahead of the game. Be prepared. Indeed. <laughs> like the Boy Scouts, yes? <laughs> anyway, um, talking of planting and getting things ready, um, OK, we've got to avoid frosting ground, but if there's no hard frost and you don't dig frost in, you can plant bare root plants at this time of year, can't you? Yeah, it's perfect time to. I mean, um, actually, the earlier you get them in, the better. I mean, as a, as a landscaper as well, you know, I mean, we, we mm. all know that getting them in before Christmas counts. If you haven't done, you haven't You can do it up game. until March, can't you? You can. The earlier you do it, the better, though. Choose a mild spell, as you say, so you're not going to dig any frost down into it. Don't worry if you're going to get frost afterwards because they'll be planted and just get them into the ground and they'll, they'll, they'll be more drought tolerant as a consequence. And some of those things that we can plant are fruit bushes, roses, you know, yeah. and, and fruit bushes, well, gooseberries, raspberries, um, gooseberries, raspberries, black currants. Mm. White currants, red yeah. currants, and indeed fruit, 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 fruit trees, yeah, yeah, yeah fruit trees. So they are, there's plenty of bare root plants that you can buy either mail order 
or at your local garden centre. So come on, get planting. Yeah, I mean, when you're looking at planting, the other thing is don't just... The first stop isn't the garden centre, by the way. The first stop is the window that you look out into the garden to, because this time of the year, if all you can see in your garden is an old wheelbarrow up against an unsightly garage or something like that, um, why should you spend all winter looking out at that? It's a good time of the year to start to plant. And remember, you can plan to have something in the garden next year. If you've got a fence which doesn't look too good, maybe a bit like a north-facing fence, get yourself a winter flowering clematis, for instance. There are such a thing, things like the... uh, uh, Clematis uh, balearica, uh, which uh, will flower Ooh, through the winter. Does, yeah, it? yeah. And um, so, so start to think about what you want your garden to look like, and try and think about that 365 uh, days a year look for your garden. It's a great time of year to plan it now. The BBC Essex Gardening Hour with Ken Crowther every Saturday from 11. Every week on the podcast, we remind you of some of those events around the county that you could be going to. So if you are a club or society or you're holding a gardening event, why not let me know? That's ken.crowther at bbc.co.uk or send it along to Ken Crowther at BBC Essex, PO Box 765, Chelmsford, CM29XB, preferably three weeks in advance. Saturday the 11th of February, there is a family scarecrow making event up at RHS Hyde Hall. You can come along, make a scarecrow to decorate Hyde Hall's fields. A large scarecrow kit costs £8 and a small one just £6. Booking is essential, so here's the reminder of that number. 0203 176 5830. That's 0203 176 5830. That's at Hyde Hall Scarecrow Making. That's fun. Wednesday the 15th of February, 12 till 3, Dragons at Boyton Cross Chelmsford. It's open to raise money for the National Garden Scheme. It's really a plants woman's three quarter of an acre garden. It's planted to encourage wildlife. Well worth going along and having a look. Admission is just £4. Children absolutely free. There's also <laughs> homemade teas. Can't be bad, but there's a bit of decent cake as well. Friday the 19th, Saturday the 20th and Sunday the 21st of May. You mustn't forget, this is a reminder. Put it in your diary. National Flower Show takes place at Highlands House in Chelmsford. That's the 19th, 20, 21st of May. Come on. You let me know of your events and we'll tell you about them here on the podcast. Coming up next, myself and Mick Lavelle from Rittle University College will be answering your gardening questions. The BBC Essex Gardening Hour with Ken Crowther. Every Saturday from 11. Well, I've got a patch of ground which I've already had um, machined over for me because we're well into our 80s now. And we've filled it with potatoes last year, which did very well. Good. Um, is it all right to grow potatoes in it again? You can do. I mean, the, the, <laughs> you it, can, you can, but it's not best. Is that the, right? The, yeah, there's, there's not. <clears throat> it's not so much a disease thing with potatoes in the uh, in the ground. It's a build-up of um, potential pests and things I actually can build up. There's all sorts of things like uh, nematodes and uh, particularly things oh. like keel slugs and things like which will. Um, tend to damage the crop rather than actually um, make it unusable. So blight comes in on the wind, so that's a completely separate thing, um, which is the most serious disease of potatoes we all think about. But you are as well to rotate them. Um, I mean, even if you've got a smallish patch of ground, you could grow potatoes in um, a third or a quarter of it and then rotate that patch round four times. Yeah. And that's really the best way to do it because then you don't get this localised build-up of things which affect that particular crop. Uh, in other words, it's not a good idea. 
Well, no, no, no. If you're not going to grow anything and you want to use the potato to smother the ground, which they do well, mm. yeah. rather than leave it barren, grow yeah. it. Wouldn't you agree? Yes, indeed. And the other thing you can actually do is a no-dig system, which you can usually set in the same place each year, where you, can, you build up the, um, the soil, you yeah, put the potatoes well, at the surface. Did, yeah, we did that last year. Oh, well, that's not really so much of a problem because no-dig systems, I mean, they, they do tend to be a little bit more problematic with things like slugs and things like that than the other system. But, but what, what used to get called the lazy bed system, and you can build it up and the, you can grow them on the same place each year. What you mustn't do, you must scatter that material elsewhere on the garden that you built it up with that year yeah. and build up a new pile of, uh, of fresh organic matter. Yeah. So you can yeah. do that, and no-dig no system can carry on the same place each year. Yeah, right. OK. OK, OK. Not a problem. OK, thanks. Give it a go, Molly, and let us Thank know you. how you get on, because that's important. It's interesting, because digging is very important at this time of year. Leave it lumpy and hard, mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and the frost will do its job, won't well, it? Anyone who dug their ground either before Christmas or yes. just after Christmas will be extremely pleased that they did. <laughs> and if you're doing it now, not so clever, because who knows what's going to happen Well, what you weather. mustn't do now is you oh, mustn't dig, you mustn't dig it and, um, and invert it, as you, as the way you normally do with digging, because you're inverting the, the frozen frost surface down, yeah. down, down deep, which will keep the soil very cold for a much longer period of time. And if you're growing veg or flowers, that's not good. Indeed. John from Rayleigh. Hi, John. Hi, Kent. Morning. What are we talking about today with yourself? Well, I've got some fuchsias in my greenhouse. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're in full foliage and they're starting to flower and they're trying to come back. Can I come back now? Well, what you would, normally what fuchsia growers would do, now things have overwintered, or well, not as mother plants. Actually, if you want fuchsias, I mean, are these fuchsias, or like bedding fuchsias you're talking about? No, baskets. For ba- yeah, for, yeah, for bedding. For are, baskets, they in, yeah. are they still in baskets? Yeah. Right. Well, what you want to do is take the take the long, thin growths that are coming off them, take them and propagate them. They'll root quite easily. You, you don't need... You can use a rooting hormone, but you don't actually need to. Um, so if you've you got a propagator... You know, a windowsill or, or a propagator, ideally. Um, propagate from them. Just label up what, what each one is. And then yeah. they will grow into better plants for the coming season, and you'll have more of them. And then empty your baskets out. Say goodbye to those old fuchsias, you know, because you've got plenty of plants from them. Because those woody bases in a basket don't make a... If, if you want to plant them out for bedding in the garden, you can do, but in, refill your baskets with some new compost and um, bed them out with those around about... You can bed them out in a glass house about April time, grow them on in there so they'll be nice and well-grown by the time you put them out in late May. Okay, but take cuttings off. And what we do is we, we actually uh, take cuttings in the autumn and um, we overwinter those. And as they start to grow in the spring, we keep take, as we're potting them on, we take more cuttings off them and increase our stock that way. Oh, so right. we've only got the liability of a few plants over the, uh, the winter. So, so it, it, just, just make the best of it. Don't, don't cut them back and just waste all that growth. Grow some more. Have a forest of fuchsias. Oh, right. Okay, lovely. Is that no all problem. right? Thing. Yeah. Yeah. When's the best time to start bringing on begonias in the greenhouse? Well, um, late. But, if you talk, we, what type of begonias are you talking about? Tuberous or um, the sort of semi-floral tuberous ones? Probably about um, mid to late February, if you if you can keep it warm enough. We need we need a bit of what you need to do is keep the tubers dry until then. But you'll you'll usually see if you keep them in a uh, dry in a reasonably sort of um, shady but not too cold place, they'll start to, the the buds on them will start to swell. And pinking a little bit usually, you, know, you actually see them start to become more apparent, and that's like the, the tuber is telling you it wants to go. And you just put them the right way up so that the, the saucer, but on the tuber is facing downward, so you get the buds on the top, and um, make sure that you, uh, you keep them uh, moist but not absolutely 
Saturated. Sort of saturated, and they should come on. But you, we, uh, like I said, when I was an apprentice gardener, we used to do that around about February time. Right. So mid mid February probably. But but they'll, the tube will tell you when it's ready to go, and you'll you'll know if you've got the conditions to grow them in any glass house. We will be answering Sue Cart from Colchester about the couple of things she's asking us about. But we will go to Diane from Halstead, that, and she has called on 0300 200 40 41. Hello, Diane. Hello, Ken. Hello. Hello. Um, I had. Sorry, hello. <laughs> I I have a mimosa tree that yeah. seems to have survived the frost. Good. Um, it's in a pot, but it seems to be growing too big now for the pot. Can I plant it in the garden? Do you know yeah. what its leaf is like? Is it a fern-type leaf? It's Yeah, it's that fern, it's and it's got little um, Delbata yellow balls. Or, or, or Albizia, probably. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah get They're it, not 100% hardy, though, They're not, they? but if you get it against a south-facing uh, wall or fence where it's sheltered from wind is, is an important thing, um, you, you should find you can get them to grow into a reasonable... They'll, they'll make more of a shrub than a tree over here, is the right. thing, because um, if you were further west... And in a very sheltered place, you might be able to grow them into a reasonable-sized tree. Um, but um, here, uh, they, they tend to be, be a bit more shrubby. We grow them against walls and things like that. But you, you, there's no reason okay. why you can't plant it out into the ground. Try and tease some of the roots out of it. It, 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 it. Don't let it get too tall anyway, because if it's been growing in a pot for a few years, the roots will have spiraled. So you're better off keeping it slightly more shrubby. And you can prune it uh, as it starts to grow in the spring. You can just yeah, March, shape, April. Yeah, shape it up rather <clears> than sort of. Don't think you got to cut. Don't think you have to cut it back for anything. You you, you shape it up into the shape you want it to achieve. Okay, lovely. And okay. don't do I have? If you've got frost wait. in the ground at the moment, don't plant it yet. No, wait, pl- wait till no. next month. No. Or I would wait March. like an evergreen, yeah, and plant it about March time. March yeah. to late yeah. March. Okay, mm. lovely. And do I have to do anything special with what you know? What compost do I need? Um, well, just prepare oh. the ground by um, digging it, and making sure it's all um, uh, not nicely worked. Don't put any compost down, lowering the soil. So uh, make make a hole which is about twice the volume. Uh, so it's about half as much again the uh, the diameter of the root ball that you put in there, and then when you put it in, top dress it off with some really nice compost. Fertilize it first. Put some general purpose fertilizer at the top of the soil. Compost on top of that. Let nature do its work. Okay. Lovely. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank That's you. A pro- pro- no problem at all. That's Diane from Halstead. She gave us a call on 0300 200 4041. That's 0300 200 4041. Text me as well, just as Sue has. Uh, 81333. Put Essex on the front and you can get straight through to us. We'll be going to the travel in just a little while. But before that, I'd like to talk to John from Brentwood. What uh, What are we talking about? An amaryllis. Is that right, John? Good morning. Yeah, the old chestnut red lion amaryllis. Yep. yep. Um, it's about two inches of growth starting to come out, but I've got a load of sort of satellite bulbs that are coming from the base of it. Mm-hmm. When is this all right to bre- uh, to break them apart now or what? When you say it's got two inches of growth, have you actually um, planted it yet? Is that just the bulb still out of the um, the compost? No, the, the thing's about ten years old now. So it's still in compost, is it? Um, well, no, it's a sort of mixture, I think. Of, no, of, hang on. No, 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 no. no. Is, is the bulb planted, or is it... No, have it's you, in a pot. It's in a pot, yeah, OK. Um, if it's growing and it's in the pot, that means the roots have actually started to go out into the compost by now. So you don't want to start lifting it out and taking those bulbs off. Leave it as it is for now. And when you right. start to dry it off, after it's flowered, you start to dry it off and into the summer... Um, so around about sort of July, August time, when it goes um, dormant, when the leaves die back, take it out of the compost, not the, the, um, the compost. There will still be some fleshy roots at the bottom of it. Don't worry about that. 
Mm. And when you break off the the, um, the, the smaller um, uh, uh, juvenile bulbs on the side, make sure you break them off with the um, a bit of a root plate still on them. Ah, okay? right. And then you right. can pop those up at the same time as you would pop your um, your, your, your up in the um, the autumn uh, time. You can pop them; they won't flower for a couple of years. You just keep giving them the same treatment as the uh, the parent bulb, and in time they will form a, a flowering size bulb. Probably about two years time. Depends on the size. Of the, the, the small bulb itself. The sky's blue, the sun's out, and we're talking gardening all the way through till 12, and that number is 0300 200 4041. So ask your questions now and then think about what you could be doing in the garden. That's what it's about. 0300 200 4041. And next up on the phones is Jackie in Clacton. Hello, Jackie. Good morning. What you got um, for us today? I've got quite an unusual one now. It's to do with gardening in a way. Um, my chickens, ducks and geese are all shut up because of the bird flu. So yeah. they're mm-hmm. producing quite a lot of waste, which is the straw and uh, their mess. I've made a separate compost heap on its own for that. Is there any way I can use that in the garden? Will it rot down? And uh, it will. It? <clears throat> Actually, if you can mix it with... Because um, there's quite a lot of straw in there. If you can mix yeah. it with um, some green matter... Even yeah. grass cutting, yeah. stuff like and that. It doesn't have to be, happen straight away. You can leave it piled up separately. But when, when once the, you start to get some growth or you, you, you cut anything down which is green, um, you can actually lay that out in layers. And you, you put it in a layer about twice the thickness of the green to things like the straw and the manure will be quite strong because of the manure in there. So you can put that in thinner layers with maybe some dead leaves and things like that, or more straw if you have it. And you can actually get that to compost down relatively quickly. And it will be okay once it's composted down. Any bacteria, anything which is in the um, the the, the uh, bird um, feces, all, all broken down, and it will be quite rich in fertilizer. What you need to do is when you put that round, because you know you've got quite a lot of um, uh, it'll be ammonia and, and a lot uh, of the ammonia nitrates, in that, isn't it? You need to make sure if you put it on the soil, it's fine, but don't have it touching any of the stems of the plants. It burns. Yeah. Yeah, so, I've used it before, um, mixed up on my other compost heap when I usually get just a little bit each week because mm-hmm. it has the paper as well from my line the chickens uh, nest out with paper yeah, yeah, yeah. and a bit of sawdust as well And but because there's so much of it and uh, I'll, um, I'll do that I've been putting some of the leaves in it so yeah. when we start to cut the grass mm. in the next couple of months, I can put Mix grass Mix it all in. in. Yeah, now, and a layer of the yeah. grass and a layer of that, you'll actually find work it, well. it will, you'll get a, quite a nice compost from you it. you get yeah. a very good compost, mm. much mm. better than just from grass and leaves, really. Mm. Um, just out of interest then, Jackie, why do you, where do you run them normally that you don't actually get much waste? Is it your open, open ground, is it? Yes, they've got the bottom half of the garden, which is about 75 foot by 35 foot, Mm. Um, as their run, so they're mostly outside, and it's only they only go inside in the straw and that at night time, and so they're running around in the ground. That's but obviously with the bird, yes, that's why you're waste. Yeah, yeah. That's why you're waste. We've got them shut up. Yeah. Yeah. Did you uh, take advantage of uh, giving the grass a good rake or anything like that to try and induce a bit more growth as as it as they're all shut up? Oh yes, I've um, gone across it all with a fork and um, forked it and then raked it over the top and uh, it's gradually coming back quite nicely now. It usually does, so um, they come back every year, the grass comes back, it's quite amazing really. And uh, when they're run, they've got a run that's all covered over that they can come out in during the day Mm. and I've been going in and turning that over. So that's actually breaking up quite nicely really, it's it's quite nice. Do you normally have to keep them in... Do you normally have to keep them in at all in the winter because of the bad weather, or don't you worry, or are they pretty hardy? No, they're pretty hardy. They have well, mm. they they've got um, 
they've each got sheds with a flight uh, a run on the side of it and uh, that's just all left open for them during the day so they choose if they want to go in or not but a lot mm, of the time mm. they go under the bushes and um, yeah. they don't go in during the day they're quite happy raking around in the leaves mm. and what they find yeah. um, and uh, they put themselves to bed at night and we just go down and shut them up so the foxes can't <laughs> they're get They're well behaved aren't they? Well, very Highly well trained. behaved. Highly oh, trained poultry. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah. you're, not only that, this year just because of bird flu you'll get even better compost so yeah, I can't, it can't, some good comes out of bad. How about that Jackie? That's great. I, what I usually do with my compost, I've got three compost bins going at the moment and um, I usually leave them and as soon as they get full I shut them off for two years before I actually use it and then I'll start another one. The BBC Essex Gardening Hour with Ken Crowther every Saturday from 11. If you get straw and... Um, uh, well, animal manure is peculiar, really, because in it terms of... Mo- most animal manure is called a green sort of thing, whereas um, poultry manure is a little bit different again. It's very acidic. So if you get plenty of straw and you put layers of straw, which is a brown... Uh, or indeed leaves as well would do this old they're brown. dry leaves they're brown and you put layers of that in with um, green material which actually ironically includes things like um, herbivore manure such as like, you know, horse manure uh, cow manure uh, you know, she- uh, sheep manure anything else if you put um, layers of greens with layers of browns in a sort of about two to five centimetres thickness, and you really want to be aiming for a cube of about at least a, a metre by yeah, a metre. metre, isn't it? But you do this all at the same time. You don't gradually build this up. You, you get the material together and you build up a layer of this in your compost bin. It will compost in about two months, usually. Two, maybe so you, three months. And then you could use it, couldn't you? And it's ready to use, yeah, and it's sterile as well because the temperature it will reach will be... Uh, over 60 degrees, which it gets to the stage where it actually kills off the bacteria which are breaking it down, by which time the breakdown is complete. And you have to turn it in on itself uh, as well to make sure that you, before it uh, stops Because the edges might not... Indeed, to make sure they get broken down. Mm. And you will get... Um, it's not absolutely sterile because it's, it's outside, but it's, it's pretty much sterile. And you will kill off weed seeds and things like that. And you, uh, you know, normally weed roots and things like that are, are pretty much killed off. Because a lot of people keep it year on year before they use it, Well, don't if they? you're cold composting, which is when you add a little bit at a time, time. to it, you know, and you're, you're hoping really then for things like worms, wood lice, other things to, to break it down, you get quite a nice little ecology going in there. But that will take a year, two years. I mean, I, my compost seat, I just empty it from the bottom and the thing's full. <laughs> I get a lovely compost out of there, you know, and um, the kids love it. They go up there and you can find all sorts of things crawling around in it, you know. So, um, and I've got a wormery as well, and so, so I, I cold compost because it, it saves having to stockpile things for when I'm ready to make a hot compost pile. Now, talking of compost, though, Mick, um, when you chuck it on the ground or, or fork it onto the ground, not chuck it, but mm, you know what I mean, heap yeah. it onto the ground. Carefully either distribute it, yes. Carefully <laughs> distribute it, either on an allotment or even through your rose beds or whatever. Mm. I mean, I, I've recently been raking off leaves off a, off a rose bed, and you find that what's amazing is that even some of the leaf, you go and pick it up, and you think, mm. hang on, hang on, it's in the soil. Mm. And that's because the worms have actually started to pull it down. Yeah. Now, if you put compost on in a thickness of say a couple of inches can you rely on worms or do you have to fork it in do you reckon no you will i mean it's not just worms a whole range of things in a compost bin you get the red worms which yeah. are the icena worms and the, we some of the brandling or tiger worms and they they break they live in compost layers so if you put a, a layer of compost on the soil what you've got to do is you've got to be quite generous with it if you want to really make it do some good. Do some work. This time of the year, as long as it, the surface isn't frozen, it's a bit of a waste of time putting it on there and nothing will happen. As soon as it, you've got a reasonable temperature, 8, 9 degrees or something, at the surface of the soil, put your, spread your compost out over it and leave it. Don't go walking on anything like that. If you're putting it out between herbaceous plants, make sure it's not touching the crown so that it doesn't rot anything. Don't have it touching the stems of shrubs and things like that. 
what will happen is worms and a whole myriad of other things which live in the soil will bring that down into the soil. The worms take large amounts down, and then the smaller organisms break that down further. And actually, a 50 millimetre layer of um, compost will break down into seemingly nothing, but you end up with something in the soil called humus, or humic acid, which is actually extremely important. It's, it's more nutrient-rich than clay. And you might think clay isn't nutrient-rich, but it's oh, no, enormously clay's very good to grow, isn't it? Uh, so, so some listeners might be surprised to hear that. But if you get this humic acid into the soil, particularly if you've got a sandy soil, if you keep on adding this material, it will help to bind and glue your soil together it will actually help to increase the amount of um, uh, microbial uh, recycling going on and fungal recycling which will mean you have to apply less fertilizer because all these organisms take it down to literally to start to fertilize the plants so all this compost isn't a fertilizer but it will end up in a product over a period of about four to five years in the soil which will really be good at cycling nutrients and, and make your garden you know, sustainable for want of a better expression right there are we've been talking compost have you got a good compost bin do you want advice on how to get anything growing in your garden for this spring are your daily shooting Come on, give us a call. 0300 200 40 41 81 333 is the text. You just put Essex on the front. And uh, let's uh, now go to the phones. But I haven't forgotten you, Sue, in Colchester. I will get you. I promise I will. But let's talk to Marguerite in Colchester. Hello. Hello there. How are you doing? Hello, I'm oh. fine. Uh, I've just got these daffodil bulbs that I've bought in, in the sale. Um, right. You know, quite a few. Yes. Um, I'm just want, waiting to put them in. Um, I, I, we've done this before in January and ha- had the bulbs come up. They will. Mm. Yeah, they will. Uh, I just wondered whether to plant them deep or not too deep. No, you plant them at the recommended depth. I mean, the, the, what will usually happen with them is sometimes you might uh, coax a flower out of them. Often, uh, you get a lot of them uh, will will come up and, and flower. Sometimes the following year, quite a few of them then uh, will, will um, sort of will suffer a little bit because they've lost a lot of condition while they've been in soil. They should have gone in about August, September. Yeah, as, as you know. yeah, but, that. But, you, I mean, if you put They're them in... Wasted, now, they, no, they you can put them out. They will survive. I mean, but the, the trick is don't try and plant them. If you plant them shallow, they'll come up anyway, but then they'll be too shallow for the next year. So right. the usual thing with daffodils, if you look at the width, the width of them isn't the best one because they might have lost a bit of condition <laughs> so look at the height of them and put them about twice the height of the uh, the bulb itself not paying too much attention to just to the neck of the bulb at the top you know but just the, the actual firm bit of the bulb about twice that uh, height, height into the ground and that should be enough and um, if you are planting them wait uh, wait till uh, a little bit later this week when the soil's warmed up a bit yes. again to get them in there because yes, you don't want to bury a lot of frost around there i mean the soil is starting to melt again now but you don't yeah. want to bury a lot of fr- frost and really cold um uh, uh, water around them when you put them in. Okay. Right, but don't worry about putting that. a bit of silver sand and all the rest of that. So put them in, bung them in, see how you get on. Make okay. sure the bulbs aren't touching when you put them in. You should be okay. And watch yeah. for rotting bulb. Anything that's yeah. too soft, it, chuck yeah, it away. Yeah, get rid of that now. Yeah. 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 Okay. Thank you very much. There no is a lady with a bargain, spotted a bargain. Indeed, and, and they'll indeed. come up well next year, won't they? I mean, yeah, and certainly, years, uh, when I went to my previous um, institution uh, in Suffolk, Otley College, um, we used to get, um, Diego used to give us their catalogue returns. You know, which just sort of thing. Students had got it one year as a part of a project they were doing, and they would just send them. And, and it was it, it wasn't because they were being sort of like backhandedly generous. They were saying, "Look, we can't do anything with these. You're welcome to have them. Do you want them?" Because so, they've been them otherwise. Yeah, and we just said, "Well, all right, we'll see what we can get from them." And um, there was all kinds of um, things that he sent. Sometimes quite unusual bulbs, and we put them in. And I would say about over fifty percent of them were usually um, either unusable or didn't really perform particularly well because they. 
obviously been kicking about, been in someone's house, return, whatever else it was. Um, but uh, a good half of them, considering it cost us nothing, actually uh, came up. So from that, I'm not saying contact Diego Bulbs and ask them for their catalogue. They won't give them to you. But if you go around all the sort of you know, the pound shops or the, uh, the DIY places where they're selling these things off cheaply, as they should be, if you're paying full price for them, don't, not for uh, not spring now. bulbs. Um, but if you can get them, it's always worth putting them in, as long as you get in a real bargain on them, because some of them will come up. And, and as you said, Ken, but make sure you uh, get rid of any um, ones that are soft or anything like that. Soft ones you just don't want. But follow the instructions, other than the planting time, which you can't follow, follow the instructions as it states on the packet, and you should be OK. Don't forget that number to call is 0300 200 4041. Text me as Sue and Colchester, which we're going to go to next. <laughs> 81333, put Essex on the front. And Sue says... Just done a couple of hours of weeding and the blackbird was so close she could almost touch it. Hi, Trangers. She says they're looking very tatty and a bit dry flower heads looking. Uh, should she take them off now? Does she cut them down? And if so, how far to tidy them up? I'd still leave them alone. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 <clears throat> the time to prune a hydrangea is when the buds start to swell because that tells you it's just about to come into growth. With a hydrangea, you really don't take too much off them at all. You take the old flower heads off, and that will flower even if you leave those on, but it'll just look untidy. So you snip those off, you snip anything off which is looking wispy. Sometimes you get growth which started last year, which then amounted to nothing. So you should end up with a nice open framework of upright stems, where the bark is firm, and they sort of nice plump um, uh, stems with lots and lots of buds on them. And they need to be evenly distributed. So you can take out the odd branch right the way down to the ground if you've got a crowded section. And if you are going to try and renewal prune it, you can take out about a third of the growth uh, from the base uh, every um, every winter. But what you mustn't do is to cut them all the way back down to the ground. It will come back beautifully, but it won't flower. So if you've got something which is really out of control and you just want to get it back into control, cut it back, but say goodbye to the flower this summer. It will come back following years. Yeah, they, they always say, you know, leave the flower heads on to protect from frost, but really it's not that. It's just a rule of when to prune, really, isn't it? I th yeah, I think that... The, I think that's the, a bit of a myth. Yeah, you? I mean, you just leave, or you don't do any cutting off until such time as the buds start to go. Uh, and, I mean, sometimes, actually, when you get a bit of frost on those flower heads, they can look quite nice to the winter. It will, they will start to, as soon as we get a mild spell in February, those buds will start to swell and you will be able to, uh, to cut them then. When can I start sowing my bedding plants? Well, because what he's not saying there is he's not saying um, whether, um, <clears throat> whether he's got a glass house, glass house yeah, yeah. whether he's heated. So, should we talk windowsill? That would be much more sensible. Yeah. I mean, it? It, yeah, it's, an, it's an interesting point that it depends on the feels. I can't even say it. The facilities you have. The commercial boys have already sown an That's awful right. lot of them. Um, if you want to sow them, I mean, it's um, it's really a case of what you're trying to sow and how long it takes to grow. Uh, if you've got a windowsill, your windowsill will get quite crowded fairly quickly. So it's as well to sow them a little bit later, to wait till maybe early March. If you've got a glass house that you can use, um, and not just one of these zip-up sort of polythene ones, an actual uh, a glass house which you can keep heated... Um, I would say sometime in February. So any time from early February onward, you can start to uh, to sow. But don't them. be too eager, yeah. basically. And if you're really sort of not that confident about your ability to get the seeds going in the first place, it's not that expensive to actually get hold of um, some of the mini plugs now that, that are sold. I mean, try, try and look around for this. But some of these mini plugs, particularly if you want things like begonias and uh, some of the more they're difficult uh, seeds to get to germinate. Tiny. Aren't they? You can, actually, if you've got the facilities, they're easier to germinate. But pricking them out is, as you oh, know it's yourself. A nightmare, isn't it? <laughs> it's, 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 but We've old, all done old that, eyes like we? myself. I don't <laughs> 
I don't try anymore. No, we've so, done that, we? so you can get the uh, the mini plugs in. So I mean, but if you've only got a windowsill, wait is the thing. Have a bit of patience. But if you've got a propagator in a greenhouse, you can do it any time from about February. But look at the growth rate on because some of them, if you plant them too early, you won't have the space in your greenhouse before it's time to plant them out. Mick Lavelle is my guest here on BBC Essex at the Gardening Phone In, and that number to call is oh three hundred two hundred forty forty one. It's as simple as ringing, isn't it? It is, isn't it, Betty and Romford? What would you like to know? Well, I've got uh, quite a lot of roses, but they're old ones. They've been in for a few years. And I couldn't, I didn't get around to pruning them last year. Yep. So is it all right to prune them this year, now? Yes. Uh, well, a bit well, early. It's, um, it's yeah. all right to prune them this year, but it's a bit early, as, as Ken says. I mean, you certainly... There's two schools of thought on it. There's the sort of the more old-fashioned one. It's about second or third week in March. That's me. And uh, which is what I tend to subscribe to that as well. If you get a cold winter, in a very mild winter, you can get away with it as late as second or third week in February if you know it's likely to be mild, which few of us really can properly predict. But if it's been very mild and it continues to be mild, so this year I'd be erring towards at least early March. Um, and the, March. And realistically the pruning is still the same as it would have been anyway you're just going to take a bit more off so you can't you can't actually hack them quite as quite as hard back as you might ordinarily do what you're trying to do is to cut them back so you cut them back but you might leave them to about five buds rather than three buds from the base and you're trying to encourage some uh, growth from near the base from the union but not from below the union so you can actually start to get some some new growth which you can prune back and and rejuvenate the plant with next year Okay. A year, a year yeah, not pruning really you. isn't a problem. But I've, I've pruned them where they've not been pruned for you know best part of a decade. And mm. uh, they'll still come back. What you've got to watch, though, is when you prune them back hard but they've not been pruned for a couple of years, is just to make sure that you don't get any briars coming from the base. Mm. Right, okay? thank you very much. And don't forget, give them a good feed, Betty. Yes, a good indeed, rose yeah. food straight after. Yes, thank you. OK, that's Betty in Romford asking about that. And we have Ron in Bishop Stortford. What would you like to know about Ron? Uh, I'd like to know how to take a, a cutting or whether you can grow it from seed from a spindleberry. No, then. Um, spindleberry. Ber- berries are actually the easiest. You're talking about the native one, are you? The, the, the wild one? The wild one. The wild one. Yeah. yeah. Um, normally, just take seed from the um, the plant itself, which there probably aren't many left on then after the winter. The birds but, will have had But, them but um, they're really bright orange seeds. And you put them yeah. in, you stratify them, which usually means either putting them in a, a domestic fridge, not a freezer, in a in some compost and um, just a little tiny bit of compost in the corner of a bag, just, just moist, and you put it in the, uh, the, the fridge for around about... Um, nine to 12 weeks is usually enough. I'd have to look up the figures exactly. There are set figures for these, how the minimum period they like. So you could say around about three months or something like that. Yeah. And then you take that, you sow it, sow that compost on the surface of, um, of a seed so tray. So the seed on top of the compost. And then yeah. just um, just leave that in a sheltered spot outside, you know, or, or in a cold greenhouse, and this should come up. Um, if you want to take a cutting, you might get away with a hardwood cutting, but I, I I have to, to admit, hold my hand up, I have never, never taken them from hardwood cutting, so I don't know. But there's no reason why it shouldn't. Now, if you, you need to get um, a, a fairly young growth, okay, so a growth from last year, and you're looking for a nice, thick uh, growth without too many, not without uh, lots of side shoots on there, as thick a growth as you can get, which is free of blemishes, which is... Um, 
not got any uh, obviously signs of disease or damage and you cut those to around about between six to nine inches long and you insert them to two-thirds of the length in a gritty compost so if you've got an old long tom pot or something like that and you can bundle them together in there and it's worth a try but i honestly don't know i mean you might be also be able to take a cutting in the um the early part of the, the early part of the summer what we call a semi-ripe as the wood uh, starts to get just to firm up a bit you might be able to take a cutting in seed would be but the... seed is the way we would do it normally yes. can i can i ask you ron why you're trying to do this <clears throat> well uh it's actually my wife that's trying to do it. She goes on, like, she takes a walk from Hatfield Forest and she, like, they, you actually see the orange flowers in sort of They're nowhere gorgeous. Mm-hmm. the time. And uh, she, was, she was trying to put them, like, we've got a little field to uh, put them down there. Yeah. You could buy them as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can buy them bare root at this time of the year. They're not that expensive. You've got and to they're cheap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you look in the back of um, an average garden book, you know, something like The Garden or Amage Gardening or uh, one of those, you'll see mm. that bare root stocks of this sort of... Because it's used as a hedging plant. Mm. It's a common hedging plant. I mean, when I do a rural hedge for a customer, I include it always. You do, mm. you know, you're using your blackthorn, your, you know, your quickthorn, your blackthorns, uh, your roses, and you always put euonymus in and viburnum. So, mm. you know, it's 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 lovely to have in a hedgerow. So you should better buy them very cheaply as well. But if yeah. you want the challenge, you know, you've got several yeah. methods you can take up. Ken Crowther, answering your gardening questions. This is BBC Essex. Jeannie Braytree, she says her violas have gone a sort of grey colour and are not looking happy. Is that the cold? Um, I saw this the other year and it was I thought it was due to mild weather it went grey. Yeah, it, it's most likely due to some sort of um, fungal disease on them, I would have thought. You know? yeah. I mean, we say grey, I mean, if they've actually got grey woolly she patches say, on them. She just yeah. says they've gone grey. Yeah, so. I mean, the, the violas, we talk about universal um, pansies and things like that, mm. and they, they were definitely an improvement on the old um, Rogley strains and yes. things that we used to have, you know, like the giants that we used to grow in the past, which were predominantly really a spring and early summer plant, and we used to sell them as perennials, and as most people know, you can only really keep them as biennials effectively. Yeah. But the simple fact of the matter is, if we get adverse conditions in the winter, Violas don't do very well through that. Even though they call them universal, the one thing, the one universal truth about them is they don't really like the winter because they're quite soft. And certainly, when I was a gardener up in the Lake District, when I was an apprentice gardener, we we used to plant our um, uh, violas out toward the end of the um, the winter period. So we're actually planting them out sort of uh, late February, early March, as it started to get a bit milder, because the wet was the problem up there. And a year like this, we've actually, it's been very mild last year. It's been quite frosty and cold this year. The, the trick really with violas is to grow about a third as many as you need again and overwinter them in a frame. And, then and you that can way... Make, you make up the losses of those that don't do too That's well. That's a good way and, and that means that you've always... Got, the, the danger you run with that is you've only got about a third of a number of plants and if the rest of them really do badly, it looks very You're, patchy anyway. It is a bit it? patchy, isn't it? So, so then you, you, you give up, clear the bed yeah. and, and get ready for spring. And the other thing it's worthwhile saying about pans, if you grew them in one place... And then you grew oh, them yeah. the same in the next year and the same in the next year after that. We get this thing called pansy sickness, which is a bit like rose replant. It's not actually a, a we call rose replant disease. And there's no it's such not disease, a disease is it? It's just a build-up of things in the soil which really don't allow them to establish well. And pansy <laughs> sickness is the same thing. It's not an actual sickness or disease. 
It's just something which, you know, the, the roses, the, the pansies themselves don't actually uh, like the conditions anymore because there's too much in the soil now which is adverse to their establishment. So try something different. Try some polyanthus or something like that next year. Now, Bill from Wheelie says he's he's just started growing rhubarb. He's had it in a couple of years um, now in the patch. He says, my rhubarb was planted two years ago. Can I force it? Is it still bit, too bit young, young isn't it? Yeah, a bit too young, really. You see, the thing with forcing rhubarb is <clears throat> people think it's just a case of putting a bin over the top of it. And if you're like, that's not really the best way to do it. The actual way to force rhubarb is to have a really old crown, if you like, and take a chunk off it, bring it in into a glass. And, and normally... Well, around you, Christmas you can yeah, do that, can Yes, you? and if you've got a border in your um, greenhouse, you know, the sort of thing you might grow tomatoes mm. in during the uh, it's, it's all um, really rich in nutrient plant it into the soil there or you can put it into a very big pot and then you put the, the cover over that and you force it inside same as you might force chicory and endives and things like that to the same sort of uh, thing um, and that's the best way to do it because you can really bring it on in quite mild conditions if you see the forcing sheds they have up in yorkshire these, are, right. these are quite warm and damp inside them if you just put a bin over it outside you will bring up pale stems but often it's the temperature isn't really up high enough to, uh, to uh, and it fluctuates quite a lot so they won't grow that much more quickly than say for instance um the uh, the ones around it so you're blanching them rather than forcing them so forcing really is something you need quite a big crown for or a number of crowns that you can take a chunk off one of them uh, each year so really to say to bill no leave it alone for now just for now yeah get plenty plenty of manure on it when it's growing plenty of custard on it when it's harvested that's (laughs) the way to do it um don't forget we've got a line free we can fit you in before 12 and 0300 200 40 41 mark's taking your calls uh so that's 0300 200 40 41 8133 if you'd like to get through on a text as several people including audrey from hawkwell has and she's said would you recommend rock dust as fertilizer now the trouble is we don't know what rock it is do we yeah um ultimately all rock dust yields fertilizer it's full of it minerals got, but it, it's but, got minerals in it, but, but you if you talk about what. thousands of years in some cases uh if, if we're talking about um something like say for instance do- dollar dust which is uh, a sort of a, a type of um, chalky limestone um, that's usually used um, where you don't want to rate to, to raise the ph particularly but you want to um to, to, to encourage cycling of nutrients and we often use that in um uh, to, to as a base mix in uh, say for instance ericaceous compost and things like that um rock phosphate is another thing which is sometimes put down you never get a rock you just get the, the dust mm. from this and this is a way of putting down phosphate I, I don't know what she's getting at you see does she mean she's had a heap of rock or perhaps she works somewhere where there's dust where rock is I mean, delivered. Yeah. You see, imagine, imagine a stone yard must have mm. lots of rock dust. Indeed. Yeah. But is that any good to anything? It's if not... it was, if it was fairly neutral. So, say for instance, if you've got rock dust which is from some like a sandstone or from uh, igneous rocks, like, you know, crystalline rocks, which is just the dust and the gravel, you could dig it in as granites and things like that. You could yeah. dig that sort of gravelly dust into the, the soil as in a sort of ameliorant to maybe open it up a bit. The same way as anything else. If it's from limestone. You don't it, need it it, do you? it it might start to raise the pH of your soil, which might not be a bad thing unless you wanted to grow things like say for instance rhododendrons and some of the uh, the primulas etc which prefer an acidic soil so it, it it's one of those things a bit like saying how long is a piece of string you know it's it's so whatever the length it is, is you know, if so, it's from limestone yeah. best to leave it alone 
And, well, unless you check your pH. Unless you've got a pH which will suit it and it's going to suit your needs, yeah. And if not, use it to yeah. just act like a grit or a sand. Indeed, yeah, yeah. And it will help break down your soil. Might add a little something, but really not yeah. a lot. No, not really, no. <laughs> Let's go to Dennis from Eastwood. I'll trust you to come on at 5-2, Dennis, with a mystery. Now, what's your mystery, Dennis? Well, I've got a lovely uh, hedge out there and it's full of little yellow flowers and it's got little over leaves and I just not want to know what it's called. Is it prickly? No, no. Jasmine. Yeah, oh, it could be, yeah. Jasmine oh, nudiflorum. Yeah. It could be, well, it wouldn't have um, any leaves on it. Le- it has got over leaves. It shouldn't have any leaves on it. Has it got many leaves on it or hardly any leaves on it? Well, it's got as many leaves as flowers, I suppose. You know? Oh, well, it's not, it's not that then. <clears throat> okay. what, 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 you say, what, what shape are the flowers? What, what do they look like? Um, well, they're small yellow flowers, I think about uh, five, six, you know, little petals. It does sound like jasmine. It could it? be the jasmine, or it could be the one I was thinking. Bur- some of the berberis, berberis stenophila. Is it spiky? He said. He said no. So it's not spiky. No, not really. What you call spiky? It's easy like, would you would you say skin. that if you look at the branches, do they hang down and bend quite a lot, <sighs> or is it an upright plant? No, yeah, they do hang down. Yeah, most like to be the um, winter jasmine. I would it sounds thought, like yeah. winter jasmine. Yeah. Oh, you reckon that's what it is, is it? That's fair Well, enough. that's what it sounds like, because a lot of people grow them in the hedges, just trim them back with the shears in the, in the summer, after, well, in spring when they finish flowering, let them grow. That's and right, then, yeah. And then they'll produce this mm. flower in the winter. And there's actually a lot of flower on them this year, I've noticed, yeah, as right, I've driven yeah, around. It's full of little yellow flowers. It's sounds, off, is it a creamy yellow rather than a bright, bright yellow? No, it's a bright yellow. Bright yellow. It's not. It's creamy yellow, Jasmine, isn't it? Mm. Um, e, what else? What else? There's not much else, is there? Nothing that's spring to It's a bit that? early for winter sweet, and even that's a sort of uh, waxy, creamy. Well, you wouldn't get that as a hedge, would you? Not really, no, no. Look it up. Look up your winter jasmine in a book, Dennis, yep. and then let us know whether we were right or wrong. And then we can, if not, next week we'll have another go. How about that, Dennis? Yeah, thanks a lot, Ken. Right. Or if you're fast <laughs> enough, you've got two minutes to ring us back. All right? <laughs> No, I've got a book on uh, gardening and flowers. So it's Jasmine mm. Nudiflorum. So it's yeah. the winter flowering jasmine. Try that. Right. Cheers. All the best, Ken. Nick. Okay. Thanks a lot. Bye. Bye. Now, it was the one about the rock dust is remineralize the soil. Oh, I see. She's saying, yeah, they sell. We sell. No. I'm trying to follow up the rock dust, but I think we give up on that one. Uh, let's go back to <laughs> parsnips. Has the frost... This is Eileen from Hartford. She wants to know, has the frost damaged her parsnips? You leave them in, don't you? Shouldn't have done. No, you leave them in the ground, they're fine. In fact, one of the old adages for Christmas dinner was to actually dig up the um, the parsnips and leave them on the side so the frost gets to them. It wouldn't have been much good this Christmas because it was mild. It was mild up but until if, Christmas. But if you've got a bit of frost on them now, it should improve the flavour of them, makes them sweeter, apparently. So I'm not a big fan of parsnips. We don't, I don't, you don't like parsnips? Uh, I, I have a problem parsnip. with it when it, parsnips, coriander, parsley, all those sort of things. Don't leave a soapy aftertaste in my mouth. Really? Yeah. I like the oh, taste of them, but don't gorgeous. like the aftertaste. No, I think I think they're rather nice mm. myself. Now, how about carrots? Carrots would suffer a lot more in in frost, yes, wouldn't they? Yes, carrots. You can keep them in the ground, but you don't try and harvest them at all. You, you wait till um, the the ground is suitable to to lift them up, and you and you get them straight in into mild conditions. I've noticed there's a lot of carrots about at the moment. 
Yeah. They're very cheap at the moment. So yeah. does this mean that someone, some farmers have dug them up? The farmers must have dug a load up and then thought, oh, my goodness, we've got a lot of carrots on our hand because they are cheap everywhere well, at the moment. the only thing you could safely say on that is it somewhere, if not Britain, somewhere else, it was a good year last year for carrot growing because they're biennials. <laughs> they're all, the carrot is the dormant bit of the plant in the wintertime. The BBC Essex Gardening Hour. This is BBC Essex. Thanks very much for listening to the BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast. And if you missed any of the answers to the questions we gave, you can download this programme and take it with you wherever you go via our website, bbc.co.uk slash bbcessex. The BBC Essex Gardening Hour with Ken Crowther. Every Saturday from 11. 